Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, all Christians who have been baptized, who know the God of heaven and in whose daily life is prized the name of Christ once given, consider now what God has done, the gifts he gives to everyone baptized into Christ Jesus. We've heard thus far in Lent about the will of God in the Ten Commandments and about our confession of God in the Creed and about our prayer to God in the Lord's Prayer. And we come now to this, the Blessed Sacrament of Holy Baptism. And here we consider, as we sang, the gifts that have been given to you in Holy Baptism. And there are indeed many and glorious gifts. We're only going to touch on a couple of them this evening. Now, one of the things that we've not spoken of when talking about the Ten Commandments and the Creed and the Lord's Prayer is how we are enabled and strengthened empowered to do these things? How are we enabled to live according to God's will as he instructs us? How are we enabled to confess him rightly as the scriptures give us to do? How are we enabled to call upon him as our father and to call upon him in every trouble and to pray and praise and give thanks? And the answer to this is ultimately you are baptized. Prior to your conversion, you, dear saints, all of us, were held captive to sin and to death and to the devil. Prior to our conversion, we are spiritually blind and dead and enemies of God. Prior to our conversion, there is nothing that we can do which is pleasing to God. And so the first thing that must happen for us before we can be free, before we can be raised spiritually, before we can lead a God-pleasing life, is that we must be converted, or we might say, discipleized. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And we won't pause there for a minute. While it often gets translated as go, therefore, we ought to first make the note here that the, the word is as you are going. That is, the command here is not to go out and do something unique different from what the Lord has already commanded you to do. Some, indeed, the Lord calls to the work of being a missionary, and that is as they are going and being a missionary. Uh, For most people, that's not the case. We are called into the other daily vocations of life, of husbands and fathers, of mothers and wives, of workers and employers, of citizens and government, all these things we see in the table of duties, that we are called into these vocations, Uh, We'd include probably also in this uh, friendship and Christian and neighbor, everything, all the stations in life that we have. And that as we are going then, that is, as we are living in those vocations as God has given us to do, that there is a work of discipleizing that occurs in that. Now, you may have noticed a couple of times now that I've said this a little bit differently than maybe we're used to hearing. Instead of make disciples, that it's 
disciplize. And the reason for that is that uh, the word here, disciple, is in, in fact, not to get too deep into the grammar, but it's a uh, past tense passive verb. Uh, it, it's not actually our work that's making disciples, so to speak, or disciplizing people. It is the work of God through the Holy Spirit that's doing this, and in a particular way. What's going on here is that the Lord is instructing us how people are disciplized, or to say it a different way, how they are brought into discipleship with the Lord. And maybe just a little reminder on this, what it means to be a disciple, we should remember, is one who follows. So, for example, someone who is a disciple of Bill Self would be one who has uh, studied the coaching style and philosophy and system of Bill Self, and so follows that in their own life of coaching. And so likewise, a disciple of Jesus is one who sits at the feet of Jesus, like Mary, and hears his words and listens to them and studies them and lives according to them. That is what it means to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to be disciplized. Jesus then goes on to explain how that happens then, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Jesus tells us that to be set as his disciple occurs particularly in our being baptized into his divine name, the divine name of the Holy Trinity, as well as being instructed in his words that we would treasure these words and hold fast to them and live according to them. And it's particularly this second part that is the work of all Christians in our daily lives. Obviously, we're, I hope not at least, uh, that we're not going around and just like pouring water on people in the name of the Father and Holy Spirit, uh, just kind of randomly. That's not how this works. Baptizing and teaching are bound together here. But as we are going and confessing the scriptures, what the Lord has taught us, that this is part of teaching those who are around us to observe or to hold fast to, to treasure uh, what our Lord has given to us as well. Now, what's amazing about all of this is that we think that there's going to be something bigger going on here, something flashier, something more substantial than baptizing and teaching. After all, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All, all authority in creation has been given to Jesus. And like, well, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do with all that authority? And he says that, prefacing this, that he's going to bring us into bringing, being his disciples. He's talking here about what's going to happen when he is rescuing us from sin and death and the devil. He's talking about what's going to happen as he's bringing us out of our spiritual blindness and death and being God's enemy. And he's talking about what he's going to do in order to bring to us the eternity of salvation. And in the context of all that, we're sitting there thinking, well, this is going to be something really fantastic, really big, really showy. What are you going to do, Jesus? And then he gives us this, baptize and teach. We have this great temptation in the church as Christians to look at the external things that the Lord gives to us and only to see the external thing there. And this is maybe most clearly seen here, where the Lord gives us these gifts, that all his authority, and in fact, we remember at the very end of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, that also is bound up to this promise of baptizing and teaching. That all of Jesus' authority is in baptizing and teaching, and his uh, full ongoing presence with us is in, his, is in 
uh, baptizing and teaching. But we look at that, and it, that's not what it looks like. We look at God's word, and we think, well, that's fine. That's great. But don't we need something more than that? We look at baptism, and we think, uh, as we sang a moment ago, all I see is water being poured out. And we look at Jesus, and we ask him, don't you have something more for us than just baptizing and teaching? And what's being betrayed here is how we look at these things, that it's only God's word, that it's only baptism. But dear saints, you have so much more than only being given to you in God's word and baptism. You have everything being given to you in God's word and baptism. That's why the scriptures spend so much time over and over and over declaring to us the marvelous gifts of God's word and the marvelous gifts of baptism. All that the mortal eye beholds is water as we pour it. But before the eye of faith unfolds, the power of Jesus' merit. For here it sees the crimson flood. To all our ills bring healing the wonders of his precious blood, the love of God revealing, assuring his own pardon. We don't just have water in our baptism. We have Jesus' own merit, his righteous life, his perfection. We have Jesus' blood. We have spiritual healing. We have God's love. And we have the assurance that our sins are forgiven and that the Lord is bringing us into the eternity of the resurrection. In baptism, we have all of these wonderful and manifold gifts of God being placed over us like a cloak that's the picture, one of the pictures that God gives to us in baptism, that you are clothed in baptism with Christ. So that these gifts are not just given once, but are in our baptism with us always, including Jesus himself, even to the end of the age. That we are buried and raised with Christ so that we would walk in newness of life, both here in time and there in eternity. That we are clothed with Christ, so that our guilt and our shame and our sin and our iniquities are also covered by his blood, that we are brought to faith and life so that we can live according to his will and confess him as our Lord and God, that we are made his disciples and his children, so that we can pray to him as dear children, call upon their dear father, and that these waters, dear saints, save you. In baptism, we now put on Christ. Our shame is fully covered with all that he once sacrificed and freely for us suffered. For here the flood of Jesus' blood makes us holy, right, and good before our Heavenly Father. Despite what our eyes see, despite what we are tempted to believe externally, we have this promise from God's word that instead of having only a sign of God's word, only a sign of God's love, only a sign of salvation and his blood and his forgiveness and his life, instead of just getting wet, we have all of these things given to us in their fullness in our baptism. This is the beauty of the epistle text, that in baptism, God saves us. Baptism, says St. Peter, which corresponds to the flood, now saves you. 
The flood was God's judgment on the world on sin, but in his mercy, God provides for the safety and the salvation of Noah and his family on the ark. And St. Peter is pointing out that in the same way that they were saved in the midst of the flood on the ark, so you, dear saints, are saved in your baptism. And baptism doesn't save you, he reminds us, because it gets you wet or because it cleanses you externally. It saves you because it gives to you a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism now saves you, he says, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Because you are saved in your baptism, you are made new. You are strengthened and you are given the ability to live as God intends. You are strengthened and given the ability to pray as he intends. You are strengthened and given the ability to confess him as he intends. Because you, dear saints, are baptized. That's your identity. That's the reality for your lives. And it is the blessed and enduring gift that the Lord has given to you until he comes back in his glory, that you would be saved that you would be declared righteous before him, that you would be brought by him through your baptism into the blessed resurrection on the last day. And so, dear saints, use it well. In Christ, you are a new creation. As faithful Christians live and do within your own vocation until that day when you possess the glorious robe of righteousness bestowed on you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.